It's so good to be with you. Uh, I, this past week, as, as many know, we got together as a church and we prayed and, and read scripture out loud. And so I tried to behave as like ninja-like as I could and would go to different locations and just observe and, and pray, but then listen to many of you read scripture. And um, if you want to know what like stirs up at least the pastor, it's when a group of people like just gather like that when there's tons of stuff to do. And for many of you, one of them was to sleep during that time. You're like, well, I'm just telling you, it was moving. And uh, I hope you just need to, we're going to do it again. Uh, not this week, uh, uh, but we're going to do it again. And I hope that, that even more will be a part of this. And, and there's a dream that one day uh, we'll just have to start telling people, hey, we just have too many people reading the Bible, too many people praying. We don't have enough room. What, what, a, what a great thing that would be. So if you're brand new, though, let me start you off. I'm about to share uh, and talk about what, what uh, the Bible says. But this series is, is unique in the sense that it's all about questions that you might have already had come up with questions and answers for. And so I'm going to say something, that, and I think this is, this is philosophical for us as a church, so I really, really, really need you to hear what I'm about to say. We are a church that is okay and actually suggests that we all be asking questions. Some of us grew up maybe in uh, religious settings where if you, if you asked a question, it was, you were basically told to, uh, to shut up and, and just like either pretend like you know the answer or, or stop asking questions because that means you're doubting and you shouldn't doubt. And so that's unwelcome. So I want you to know that this series is all based on questions, but you need to know there's a freedom to ask questions. The danger in asking questions should actually be, are you willing to accept the truth that the question brings? And that's what we should be going after. So in the context of questions and why this is so important, we take you to the Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, and you're going to know why we're doing this. Uh, just, it'll make sense. Then we will no longer be immature like children. Most of us are like, that would be good. Okay, we won't be tossed and blown about by every kind of new teaching. Just think about like how, nowadays how much teaching is out there, how much information is out there, and how easy it is for this to happen, to be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. I know that never happens anymore, any day. No, come on. I mean, this is like, was this written today? No, it was written a long time ago. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body of the church. And what I would tell you is this, and I think this is important, is that you and I can't get to that level of maturity. To where if they, let's say you hear something, you're like, I don't know if that's true. Or if you all of a sudden a coworker says, here's what I think is true about life. Or, or your kids start to ask you questions. And you're like, actually, this is the new way of thinking. How do, you and I, how do you and I actually know what we should believe, how we should live, and what life is really like? Well, you and I should be asking questions. It's, you should ask questions, and then you should go after the answer. And you should go after the answer, I would say, from God. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So this whole series is built on the idea that all of us have about 10,000 questions we ask a year. If you have kids, you can probably multiply that. Uh, but there's 10 questions that of all the questions in life, 
of all the things that you've ever asked God, why do we have mosquitoes? Things like that, that you've gone like, I really need, but think of all the questions that you could ever ask God and other people. God sees questions as big of a deal as you see them. And in fact, I would tell you, the Bible actually addresses 10 of life's major questions. Let me show you what they are. Uh, If you're wondering, are we gonna spend a bunch of time today on them? No, because the whole series is about that. But here's the 10 questions that I think are imperative. Is life an accident or I'm here on purpose? Big question, especially nowadays. Uh, Why do bad things happen to good people? Can I really trust God? Why can't I make my own rules? Again, parents, you might want to write that one down. We'll be here for that week. Uh, why can't God just accept me as I am? And if you don't know what this means, in other words, like, why do I need to change or think anything specific or do anything or process? Why, why can't I just like do me and that be just fine? Uh, isn't, isn't one way to God narrow-minded? What does it mean to be forgiven? Why don't Christians look different from everybody else? Who needs the church? Are heaven and hell real? Weighty questions. But they're questions that if you get the right answers to them, well, it's kind of like uh, you'll know about puzzles. Here, here, you won't make sense of the daily pieces unless you know the big picture. Have you, ever, have you ever put a puzzle together? Some of us remember, yeah, and there was like 50 pieces and you kind of went about it. Uh, so someone in my family, I don't remember who, maybe I gave this gift and I don't remember it, uh, uh, got a thousand piece puzzle. And it was, it was over Christmas time, and I needed some what I would call therapy, and that was alone time, and just like dwelling on a, a mindless kind of thing. And so I was like, what's this puzzle? Opened up the puzzle and started putting it together. It's an incredibly difficult puzzle. I did not know that at the beginning. Um, a thousand pieces, uh, and, and it's of... Uh, my favorite team, the Kansas City Chiefs, and it's, it's this Red Sea in KC. And what I learned as I began to put it together was I got myself in some major trouble because there were some pictures on, on, there's some pictures on this that make it easy, but then you get to this, this sea of people and you begin to hate whoever made the puzzle, right? Like you be, Even though I opened up the packaging and I began to think, oh, someone lost a piece. When I'm thinking, I don't think that's possible. Uh, And so here's what I began to naturally do. If you've ever put a puzzle, you know what I'm talking about, is I began to take this and stare at this and begin to actually compare pieces that I was putting together to this. If you put together a difficult puzzle, that's what you'll end up doing. Even so, I took my phone out, like magnified into this, just like honing in, like, what's that person wearing? I can't see it anymore. Right. So you won't make sense of the daily pieces unless you know the big picture. Okay? For you to understand life, literally to get questions answered. You and I have a tendency to go to the small pieces and say, this little piece in my life doesn't make sense. And you're finding your answer there rather than the big picture. And let me tell you something. If I'm about to show you something that I... <clears throat> I I went to school to be a pastor, which means I did undergraduate work, and then I did more graduate work. And what I'm about to share with you was never shared with me. I'm a little upset about it. Because did you know that there is actually a picture of the Bible, if you think puzzles, that shows you exactly what the Bible is telling you? I'm going to show it to you. And then you're going to say, David wasn't taught that in like religion school? No. Uh, But uh, a pastor friend taught this to me, and... um, 
let me show it to you. Uh, this, this is, if, if life were, if the Bible were a, a puzzle, this, this is it. Now, we're going to show this over and over throughout the series, and, and you're going to be like, okay, David, that did not simplify anything for me. Uh, let me. Let me show you the, how this works. Starts off in, in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2 will tell you about God and righteous people in paradise. You'll learn all about it. And you've, you've, many of you have read this. Then you're going to hear about Satan and sin entering the world, Genesis 3 through 5. Then you're going to read about the world judged and destroyed, Genesis 6 through 9. Many of you know about the flood. and You're like, okay. Then you're going to learn about a one-world government that was pursued. And, and people being actually do this idea of one-world government. And then eventually, as you get to Genesis 12 and all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, you're going to learn about the Old Covenant. Again, these are details that might be brand new to you. Don't worry, this series is designed to put some color to what I just shared with you. But that's the whole Old Testament. If I knew that before I took some of those classes, I would not have had to retake some of those classes. Uh, so there's this, okay, there's this. But then you obviously see a game changer. Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, known as the Gospels. The whole entire Old Testament, if it's an arrow, it's pointing to Jesus. The whole Old Testament is pointing toward the need and arrival of Jesus. Then, and what you're going to notice is the New Testament appears to mirror the Old Testament. A new covenant is spoken of, Acts through the book of Jude. And then you get into Revelation, which some of us are like, yeah, that's the crazy book. I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. And you're right, because a lot of it hasn't played out. In fact, if you want to know your history, here's where we are right now. But according to prophecy, eventually our world will move back toward attempting to get to a one-world government. You can read about it. Uh, the world will be judged and destroyed. Satan and sin will exit stage destruction, which I'm excited about that day. Uh, and eventually God and righteous people in paradise. That is, that, that is this for the Bible. And that will help you when you're reading the Bible, when you're looking at the Bible, it won't have to any longer be like, no idea where we are in this. So, you won't make sense of the daily pieces until you know the big picture. So, let's not mess with any more time. Let's go through some questions. Two questions, that's all we're going to deal with today. Two questions, we'll take a light one at the beginning. Question one, is life an accident or I'm here on purpose? Let's solve this one, okay? If you want to open your Bibles, you can. This will be an easy one. I'll have it up here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Very beginning of the Bible. Literally, not page 1 because, well, you're going to see like who the Bible was given to and table. Anyways, but the beginning of the writing of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1, the first verse, the first part of this says, very simply, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Would you like to know how you and I get messed with in our current culture? If you've ever wanted to have someone like explain God to you, you want, you want to know all the details about God. If you've ever wanted to know, like, God, tell me this and this and this and this and this, you and I are both trained to think that way. That's our culture, thinking that everything requires an explanation. But when you read the Bible, it does not start off with explaining God. It starts off with recognizing God because according to God, explanation should follow later on one day and it's not near as important as acknowledging God. And the writer is making a point in the beginning, God, and doesn't say, oh, and pause, let me tell you all about God. The Bible starts off recognizing God. And you aren't him. 
in the beginning, God created. Here's your, here's your lesson. This is a basic lesson. Genesis 1, uh, God created life, which means our origin doesn't start with us. If you want to begin answering questions about life, and I'm about to explain to you here in a moment of the questions we as a society are trying to answer, and I'm telling you, this solves so much of what's going on in our country and our world. Just this answer. Our origin does not start with us, but we live in a society that's trying to define ourselves by ourselves. In the beginning, God created. It's a big deal if you believe that or not. If you do, you got to keep reading. Genesis chapter 1, we'll keep reading. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God He created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. If you keep reading, it's telling you that not only in the beginning, God, God made stuff. He's just defining who was here first, not you and I, and that God made you and I. Here's your lesson. God made you, which means, which means if you have a creator, which you do, our identity, our value, and purpose do not come from ourselves because we did not make ourselves. I feel like I should offer a disclaimer at this moment. Um, my attempt, our attempt with this sermon series is not to enter what's called an apologetic approach to the Bible and God. My intent is not to generate a debate with you. Here's, okay. Here's what I'm hearing from most people. It's not that we want the debate. We just want someone to tell us what the Bible says. So what I'm going to do is this whole series is not designed to debate with you or anyone else or even to make a point. I am finding person after person after person after person saying, yeah, but no one in the first place just showed me the front of the puzzle and just spoke what the Bible says. Oftentimes, oh, you want to be a Christian? Here's the Bible. Best of luck. (laughs) And so what I'm going to do with this series is I'm going to tell you what a Christian, what a follower of Jesus believes. Now, some of us are like, I'm glad you're going to tell me what I believe so that I know that I believe it. But I'm going to just share the information with you. God made you, which means he assigns you identity, value, and purpose. Now let me tell you how this walks out in society. Let's use some examples. We'll see if you come back after this one. Um, Let's talk about our planet. See, do you feel that? Some of you are like, he's about to get political. No, I'm going to get theological. Because what I read to you was that God made you and I, and do you remember the part of what follows after being made? That God actually assigns roles, and the roles were not like so specific like you and I treat them. God said, the planet is yours to take care of. We're treating it like, okay, we're treating it like, well, no, that's a, that's a Democrat thing. 
Where God said, no, uh, so, so when you think about your worldview and how you see life, you have to process, do you think that, that this planet is just ours to do whatever we want to with it? Or if God made it, you treat it as though this is a gift from God that he said to steward. So if your attempt in this world is to take care of the world as best as possible, that is actually from a Christian saying, well, God gave me a role, and that was to like not just throw junk out and trash the place, was that we were supposed to be stewards of it. You see how this question determines what you do with your life if you think God made you and this. Okay, it's not heated enough. Let's talk about abortion. Whatever you believe about babies, you have to go to the question that we're asking. If you think that that is just flesh, if that's just um, molecules and things put together, then you don't believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, and that God made man and woman, you believe that that is a human being, which comes with a bunch of other decision-making, right? So if you want to know what should Christians believe or think about, you have to process, do you think God makes life? And that answer, you see, how it answers other things in life. Let's talk about other simple things like marriage, right? That's, um, no, no one brings that up. I'm just kidding. Let's talk about marriage, whatever your view of marriage is. And right now, you have one. Can we acknowledge that? You currently, right now, have a view on marriage. Who can get married, who shouldn't get married, all that kind of stuff. And so all I'm going to ask is, where'd you get your answer from? Who, what You asked the question, you did, and you got an answer, and where'd you conclude that? In the beginning, God created man and woman and sets it all up. So what you have to process in your mind is, have I, have I determined my own way or am I following the way of God? Oh, again, not heavy enough. Um, Gender. Some of you are like, what in the world are we doing right now? Let's talk about gender. And again, I'm going to tell you, like, you can come up with your own conclusion. You have a right. And we love to talk about rights as Americans. You have a right. You have a right to come up with your own answer to the question. I wonder if you came up with the right one. And according to, if you just open up the first chapter of the Bible... It says that God makes life. God makes life. God determined male and female. God does that. Do you determine it or does God? These are questions you should be asking and answering. Let's land with a, a real simple one. Let's talk about sex. Um, that's lighthearted. And some of you are like earmuffing your kids right now. Just, I'm just giving you a moment to earmuff your kids. Uh, anyways, uh, what you think about sex. When, when should you have sex? Uh, when should you not have sex? All that kind of stuff. Like... Who came up with that? Your answer should actually come out of Genesis chapter 1. You can keep reading and it'll tell you a little bit more. But if all I'm explaining is where does a Christian find their answers? Not from what we think, but what from what God does. You tracking with that? I'm just trying to explain. This is where we get our answers. or <laughs> um, This is where we should get our answers. Question number one, is life an accident? Or am I here on purpose? I'll succinctly say, God made you. Listen, he didn't just make Adam and Eve. He made you. He gave you your soul. 
He made you. And that truth is what defines life for a Christian. You can choose not to believe it. And some of you right now, you're going, David, what you just said, that sounds neat, but that requires faith. You're right. I thought I should acknowledge in this moment, you're like, you're plugging some things in. And I don't, it seems like, David, you just took a, a big leap of faith. Yes. I don't know all of the details of everything about God and how he said everything and did everything. But yes, faith is required. There are, there are blanks, there are portions that you have to jump out of. And, but, but with the, with the, with the dishonesty that's occurring with just intellectual thinking is we say only Christians are trying to live by faith where I would say we're all living by faith. Everyone is. Faith is not bad. In fact, faith is so good and all of us actually know it and are functioning that way. One being, you are trusting in a roof over your head. You have no idea who built it. There's faith. Right now you're living by faith. I would tell you, I, uh, my leap of faith is that I believe that God made the impossible, the incredible, the beautiful around me. I believe an intelligent being put all of this together. Just like I'm pretty confident that my watch was assembled by someone. I would tell you it takes a larger leap of faith to say that the complexity of the human body was assembled and perfected just by time and evolution and it just I'm, I'm going to tell you it's a bigger leap of faith and we're, it's a bigger leap of faith to say the most complex and most perfect things ever made that we get to experience just happened so I've taken the smaller leap of faith I believe someone made it so yes it requires faith do you have purpose you better stink and believe it because God made you. So no accident. No matter what the details are of you arriving, God made you. Question two. All right, this is slight and good. Question number two. If God made me and gives me purpose and value, that means God likes me, likes this setting, and he's really excited about it. If God made me, put me on this planet, and said, all right, have a great, but then you've encountered bad, right? You maybe been around people who have been around bad. I think the next logical question is, if God so, if you're like, yes, I believe God made me. I believe I'm here on purpose. So God, what do you want me to do? This is gonna be amazing. And then you're broken up with the middle school and you're like, this is garbage, right? This, this, what's going on? And I'm using a lighthearted one because there are far more intense problems in life, aren't there? And most of us have said, if God wants us here and made us, then why in the world, why in the world do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? And you can buy the idea, well, we don't have the answer. Put your head in the sand and we'll just wait. Yet you and I deal with tragedy all the time, do we not? Pain that has no description or merit whatsoever. You likely know someone, if it's not you, who is an incredible person. It's like an awesome person. And what they've had to go through and experience, you're like, that's not fair. 
and you're right. So where's the answer? You got to keep reading. Genesis chapter 3 unfolds a major change to what God intended. All of a sudden you find after creation, Adam and Eve are uh, hanging out in the garden in paradise. That's, it's just Paradise isn't even an adequate word, but it's amazing. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Do you know how the devil tries to trick you? Gets you to ask questions that cause truth to be called to the table. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. If you've read your Bible, guess what doesn't happen? Adam and Eve don't immediately die. I'm bringing up what seems like a break, like eat the fruit. I've seen the Disney movies. You die. Eat the fruit. At least go to sleep. And there's no, right? I'm just, we begin to process like, wait, wait, wait. I, he just read it. And they're told by God that, that if they eat it, they'll surely die. And know that tension. So let's keep reading that. And, and look at what the devil says very simply. Uh, you won't die. The, the serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. Which, just so you know, is what mankind has tried to do since that moment. Knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave it to her victim. Just trying to see if you're awake. It's a good pastor joke. Couldn't, couldn't go by it. Okay, it's not true. It's not, not a victim. Okay, okay. Just, just seeing. Then she gave it to her husband. It was with her. And he ate it too. God makes paradise. And then we screw it up. The shortest answer I'll offer to you right now. Why do bad things happen? According to God, because sin is death. Sin brings death. Death surrounds sin. It is dark and it is death. I don't know if you've ever wondered this. Uh, if God is so good and loving, and he makes paradise, he, he makes people, and he's like, you got purpose, you got identity, you got value, and sets up paradise. Why in the world, why in the world does he let the devil roam around in that? I don't know if you've ever wondered that. Because it seems... <clears throat> Okay, it seems manipulative. It seems like toxic behavior that God would like, I've made perfect and this snake's gonna be in there, right? And we think of the negative, don't we? How could God let that bad thing happen? How could God let that, that evil be in the place? And you think negative. What if God allowed it to happen so that Adam and Eve would destroy evil? What if God was setting them up for an opportunity, not an obstacle? What if God wasn't setting them up to fail? He was setting them up to win. And if in that moment they had resisted and said, forget you, man. God said, don't do it, so we're not going to do it. Did you ever think that that could have happened? And Satan could have had his butt kicked right at the beginning. 
But we go negative. How could God let that happen? Maybe more of the problem that you and I are dealing with is how you and I actually treat sin. We don't treat sin like it's death. You have sinned, <clears throat> so, so have I, just so you know. Um, and because all of us have sinned, uh, all of us have messed up, screwed up, and we've all done things that we should not have done, and so what we do is we then feel like it lessens the blow, like where we say things in society like, well, nobody's perfect, so it's no big deal, just don't do it again. And so then we treat sin like it's like, yeah, just don't repeat it, and we don't treat it like it's a major thing, like, like death is occurring again. If you walk this out and read, it's, it's powerful that how God deals with Adam and Eve. He makes clothes for them. Do you know how he makes clothes for them? It says in the Bible, they get leather clothes. Which means an animal or animals had to die in order to have clothes made for Adam and Eve. And God was very intentional about not shaming them, but also intentional about not ignoring sin. I wonder what you've been doing with sin. Staying with the snake analogy, what God calls venomous, we treat as harmless. I thought about this, and it might be mean to you, but um, know that I love you. I thought, how do we get there? How do you and I land actually saying, you know what, sin is bad. It's not harmless, and the only way I can take you is through YouTube. So here you go. Some of you are like, you let that linger too long. <laughs> I know, on purpose. Uh, I think in South Dakota, it's safe to say that uh, we're familiar with venomous snakes, right? right? And if you've lived here long enough, you know the answer to this, right? You know why that scenario happened, and some of you are like, it shouldn't have happened. It, that, that, was, that was absolutely, David, that was unnecessary, Uh-huh. There's your life lesson. Which leads to a life question. Where in your life are you treating sin as harmless? Where in your life are you walking up to the snake way too close and messing with it? This sermon is going to have a unique ending. I'm going to leave you there. A lot of times in church, we try to button everything up, put a nice bow around it, and say, okay, now let's feel good about ourselves just before we leave. But that's for the rest of the story. 
So you're going to have to come back next week if you want any resolution of sorts at all to what goes on next. But I feel like the Lord has led us to this moment. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're not going to do a movie ending today. We're going to let some of the major questions in life get wrestled with. Do I believe God made me? Have I been treating sin like it's harmless? Heavenly Father, thank you for telling us this part of the story. Thank you for making sure that thousands of years later we would know who made this place? Who made us? God, would you help us in our insecurities and inadequacies, in our questions and our concerns? God, would you meet us there? God, for those who wish they would know more, a little bit more, to know you are really real, would you meet with them and confirm and help them understand that you are as real as real gets? For those right now who have been treating Sin like it's no big deal. Like all it's necessary is an apology and it'll all go away. God, would you meet each one of us in the midst where we're treating sin like it's absolutely harmless? Would you help us? Would you convict us? Would you lead us out of a pit of whatever that we might find ourselves in? God, help us to be a church that goes to you for answers. We love you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.